1647, the Puritans thought that uh, reading was so important that they established one of the first laws in America requiring public education for all children. The law stated that every community that had 50 or more families must establish a public school uh, and put a teacher in the school so the children could learn to read. The law was named the Old Deluder Satan Act. And the purpose of the law was the Puritans thought it was so important that children be able to read so that they could read and study the Bible so they would not be deluded by Satan. We know our old deluder Satan is still at work today, deceiving, lying, and tempting us to turn away from God and to follow him into sin. Thankfully, as we've just been finished singing through song, uh, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are victorious over our enemy Satan by our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? And we have the privilege of walking in that victory day by day as God empowers us to follow Jesus by faith. Open your Bibles with me, uh, if you haven't already, to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We are continuing in our sermon series titled Treasure Hunting. We are searching God's Word for His priceless treasures of truth for us to apply in our lives and to share with others. We are going to continue this morning uh, in the sermon we started last Sunday. I will continue and pick up uh, in the sermon I started last Sunday. So uh, I'm going to give a quick summary, a quick background. It'll be very small in regards to what I shared last week, but it'll help us to, to get back on our treasure hunt and know where we're going and what we're looking for so that we can identify it when we find this treasure of God's truth for our lives. If you weren't here last Sunday, you can listen online this week or pick up a CD after the service from last Sunday. That'll give you the, the full background to where we will jump in this morning. 2 Corinthians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Uh, Paul planted this church, and Paul loved this church family. Paul wrote 2 Corinthians for several purposes. One was to defend his apostleship and to strengthen the faithful church members there in the church in Corinth, which Paul covered uh, this purpose in chapters 1 through 7. Paul wrote to remind the church in Corinth, the members there, to collect an offering uh, for the church in Jerusalem. Paul was going to come again on a visit to them. It'd be his third visit to them. He would collect the offering from their church, just as he had from the churches in Ephesus and Macedonia, and he would take it back to Jerusalem to give to that church who uh, they were in very uh, desperate need financially. And he covered this purpose in verses in chapters 8 and 9, and then Paul wrote to confront the false apostles and to urge the rebellious minority of church members who were following the false apostles to repent of their sin, uh, to uh, stop following the false apostles, and to return to God and to follow him, which he covered this purpose in, ver in chapters 10 through 13. So this is a, a short background of, of why Paul wrote 2 Corinthians. We're going to find ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. So we are entering this story, this treasure hunt, at the time where Paul is confronting the false apostles and the rebellious minority of church members who were following those false apostles. For 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, Now I, Paul, make a personal appeal to you by the gentleness and graciousness of Christ, I, who am humble among you in person, but bold towards you when absent. 
Paul confronted the false apostles and the rebellious church members by appealing to them in the gentleness and graciousness of Christ Jesus. Instead of arguing and debating with the false apostles and the rebellious church members during his second visit to Corinth, he responded to them in the graciousness and gentleness of Christ as he responded in patience and humility and love to them as they were uh, accusing him falsely, as they were coming against him, as they were opposing him. He responded in patience, humility, and love. The false apostles mistook this response as weakness, and they went on to launch uh, their first false accusation against Paul, which was, this guy Paul, he is weak and cowardly when when he is in person with us. When he's with us, as he was on his second visit, he's weak and cowardly in person. But when he's away from us, when he leaves us and he writes these letters to us, he's bold, he's strong, and he's powerful. The first accusation, false accusation against Paul. He continued in verse 2, I beg you that when I am present with you, I will not need to be bold with the confidence by which I plan to challenge certain people who think we are walking in a fleshly way. Paul saw right through false apostles' lies and manipulation. Paul truly loved these rebellious church members who were following the false apostles. Paul begged them. He said, I beg, I urge, I plead with you. Referring to the rebellious church members. I beg that you will repent of your sins, that you will turn back to God, that you will renew your faith in God, and you renew your commitment to following God's truth. He said, if you don't, when I come again, then I am going to boldly challenge. I'm going to boldly challenge and confidently confront the false apostles and anyone who is following them. Paul was warning them, these church members, and he was saying, listen, when I come for my third visit, I'm not going to respond like I did on my second visit. My third visit, I'm going to respond in boldness and confidence, and I'm going to challenge publicly, specifically, openly, these false apostles. And anyone who's following them, instead of responding in the graciousness and gentleness of Christ like I did in my second visit. And so we see that uh, these believers here had another opportunity. Paul was patient with them, encouraging them to respond to the Lord. And then we see here as well, again, they launched their second false accusation in verse 2. These false apostles said and accused Paul of walking in a fleshly way. They accused him of walking in a fleshly way. Paul was walking in the spirit, not the flesh. The false apostles and the rebellious church members who were following the false apostles were the ones walking in a fleshly way. And we now come to this priceless treasure of God's truth. It begins in verse 3. We'll walk through verse 3, verse 4, and verse 5 as we uh, uncover uh, this truth, uh, this treasure of truth from God's word. Paul said in verse 3, for although we are walking in the flesh, we do not wage war in a fleshly way. When Paul said, for although we are walking in the flesh, again, like I shared last week, he went physically. He said, yeah, we're walking in the flesh in a physical sense. Paul, like everyone else, like us today, we all walk in our physical flesh, the tent of flesh that God has given to each one of us. We, we walk on this side of heaven, 
in our flesh. And that's what Paul was saying. He said, yeah, although we walk in a fleshly way, he said, we do not wage war in a fleshly way. Although we are walking in the flesh, we do not wage war in a fleshly way. The use of war here is a reference to spiritual warfare. And so he begins to transition here and to help them understand what he's going to teach them here in this priceless treasure of truth is some principles uh, about spiritual warfare. Some principles, some truths that they can hold on to, that we can hold on to, that will help us walk in victory in spiritual warfare. And he shared here that we do not wage war... In a fleshly way. Spiritual warfare was what he was referring to. Now, spiritual warfare is the battle we face each day as we live for Jesus. Spiritual warfare is the battle each of us face each day as we live for Jesus. Paul said we do not engage in spiritual warfare in a fleshly way. Paul said, I do not wage war against the false apostles and the enemies of God in my ability, strength, wisdom, and words. Paul said this would be engaging in a spiritual battle in a fleshly way, which would not work. We, like Paul, today don't engage in spiritual warfare against the lies, accusations, and temptations of our enemy Satan by relying on our fleshly weapons of our ability, our strength, our wisdom, and our words. We don't do that. Just as Paul said, we don't do that. Paul continued in verse 4, and Paul said, since the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. We don't wage war, the spiritual warfare in a fleshly way. He said, since the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. Paul, again, here says, listen, he's writing to these church members, the faithful and those who are rebellious. He says, listen now, we don't wage spiritual warfare by using fleshly weapons such as anger and bitterness and manipulation and pride and revenge and selfishness and trying to hurt others by what we say or what we do. We don't engage in spiritual warfare by using physical weapons, fleshly weapons. We don't engage in a spiritual battle in our strength, ability, wisdom, and words. He said we engage in spiritual warfare with weapons from God because they are powerful to demolish strongholds. We engage in the battle of spiritual warfare with the weapons we receive from God by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. That means we engage in spiritual warfare, you and I, on a day-by-day basis. We are to engage in spiritual warfare through the weapons that we have received from God when he saved us from our sins. We engage in spiritual warfare as we are strong in the Lord and his vast strength. We engage in spiritual warfare as we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We engage in spiritual warfare as we are dressed in the full armor of God. We engage in spiritual warfare as we walk humbly in obedience to God. We engage in spiritual warfare as we walk courageously by faith in God. And Paul begins to share how this works in our day-to-day lives. And he shared several truths about this treasure. Truth number one is our battle is spiritual, not physical. He made that clear. We are uh, engaged in a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. He said, we don't wage war in a fleshly way. Our battle is not against one another. Say that with me. Our battle is not against one another. Paul said, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against one another. Our battle is against Satan, his demonic forces evil, and the heavenly realms. Satan is the one 
who is continually, constantly, relentlessly trying to lure us away from God, his word, his people, and his praise. He's constantly trying to lure us away. Why? Because he wants to isolate us. Why? Why does our enemy Satan want to isolate us from God, his word, his people, and his praise? Because he wants to destroy us. That's why. He wants to destroy you and me. And he is constantly trying to pull us away, trying to pull us away, because he knows when we are pulled away, then we will be less able to walk in the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. Now, thankfully, we have the victory over our enemy, Satan, by our faith and trust in Christ Jesus. Secondly, our weapons are spiritual, not physical. If our battle is spiritual, not physical, then we know our weapons are spiritual and not physical. When we try to use the fleshly weapons of our ability, our strength, our wisdom, and our words in the battle of spiritual warfare, we lose. We lose. When we use our spiritual weapons... In the battle of spiritual warfare, we win. As we shared the example from last week, David, in his battle against Goliath, looked at Goliath and he said, Goliath, you are coming against me with dagger, spear, and sword because you think our battle is physical. He said, Goliath, I come against you in the name of the Lord our God, the God of Israel's armies. God will deliver you to me because the battle between us is spiritual, not physical. And we know what happened there. David won the great victory over Goliath. So our battle is spiritual, not physical. Our weapons are spiritual, not physical. The third point, a key point, uh, is our battle is fought in our minds. Our battle is fought in our minds. And we need to grasp this and grab on to this this morning. Look at verse 4. Since the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments in every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The battlefield where spiritual warfare is fought is in our minds. It's in your mind, and it's in mine. Paul made this clear as he referenced that uh, our weapons are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. Strongholds, that we demolish every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. Knowledge of God refers to our mind. We take every thought captive, refers to our mind. So we see that clearly our spiritual battlefield, where this battle of spiritual warfare is fought, is in our minds. The truth is, we are always thinking. Now, we may do things in act ways that would indicate otherwise, but the truth is, we're always thinking. We're always thinking about someone or something. Our minds are always working. At times, it's hard to even get a night's rest. Why? Because our minds are constantly working. Our enemy can steal rest and sleep from us at times because he knows where the battle is fought and he knows how to engage us 
in this battle. And our minds continue to work and work and work. Therefore, we understand why God has spoken to us often in his word about the importance of our minds. Jesus said the greatest commandment in all the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Paul said, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Isaiah the prophet said, you will keep in perfect peace the mind that is dependent on you, for it is trusting in you. Paul said, for those whose lives are according to the flesh, think about the things of the flesh. But those whose lives are according to the spirit, think about the things of the spirit. For the mindset on flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. There is a tug of war spiritually going on for our minds every day. There is a tug of war spiritually going on in our minds, for our minds Every day, every moment of every day. Satan wants us to think his way, which is why he bombards our minds with his lies, accusations, temptations, and doubts. God wants us to think his way, which is why he tells us over and over again in his word that we need to fill our minds with the truth of his word. The tug of war is real. Why? Because we think, we feel, we act. As I've said that many times, we see this principle and how God has created us and how God's wired us. We see it throughout the truths of Scripture. We can look at it. many of our heroes of this faith, and we can see this at play. We think, we feel, we act. If you want to change the way you act, you've got to change the way you feel. If you want to change the way you feel, you've got to change the way you think. Our thinking, leads, our thinking leads to our feelings, which then produce our actions. We think, we feel, we act. You take the example of the battle of David and Goliath. The Israelite soldiers fought about Goliath. They felt fear and terror, and they ran away from Goliath and hid every morning and every evening when Goliath came out and taunted and challenged them. David thought about God. David felt confidence and courage in God, and David ran to the battle and defeated Goliath. Completely different outcomes. Why? Because they were built off completely different feelings. Why? Because they were stemming from completely different thoughts. Israelites were thinking about Goliath, well, David was thinking about God. And so we see and understand the battle is fought in our minds. The fourth truth then is we must use our weapons. We must use our weapons. We have a spiritual battle, we have spiritual weapons, the battle is in our minds, so we must use our weapons. We must use our spiritual weapons in our spiritual battle. Now, Paul answers a couple of questions for us here in verses 4 and 5 about this. The first question is why? Why should we use our weapons? Why should we use our spiritual weapons? Number one is because our weapons are from God. Our weapons are from God. Listen, our fleshly weapons do not work in spiritual warfare. Our ability doesn't work in spiritual warfare. Our strength doesn't work in spiritual warfare. Our wisdom doesn't work in spiritual warfare. Our words don't work in spiritual warfare. Pop psychology doesn't work in spiritual warfare. The power of positive thinking doesn't work in spiritual warfare. Spiritual platitudes don't work in spiritual warfare. Our spiritual weapons work in spiritual warfare because our spiritual weapons are from God. They're from Him. Why do we need to use our weapons? They're from God. Secondly, we use our weapons because they're powerful through God. 
Paul said, our weapons from God are powerful through God to demolish. I love that word. Say that word with me. Demolish. Say that with some feeling and some emphasis, the way it's meant to be said. Ready, set, one, two, three. Demolish. Yeah. We demolish strongholds, arguments, and every high-minded thing raised up in opposition to the knowledge of God and the Word of God. Demolish means tear down, pull down, destroy. Strongholds in the time period in Paul's day, from a societal purpose, meant a fortress, a military installation, or a castle. But this word, in a biblical sense, strongholds biblically here, means faulty thinking patterns. It means thinking thoughts that are not true about God or God's word or us or others. Thinking thoughts that are not true about God or God's word or us or others. Strongholds. They're wrong, fleshly, faulty thinking patterns. Strongholds are situations, are issues. It's a, it's a place where we go and we think Thoughts that are wrong, untrue, incorrect about God, God's word, ourselves, and others. Arguments, here as he said, we demolish strongholds and arguments. Arguments means those beliefs and opinions and speculations and thoughts that are hostile to God and the truth of God's word. Arguments are beliefs, opinions, speculations, and thoughts that are hostile to God and truth of God's word. Every high-minded thing means prideful beliefs, opinions, and thoughts that are raised up in opposition to the knowledge of God and the truth of God's Word. They are prideful beliefs, opinions, thoughts that are raised up in opposition to the knowledge of God and the truth of God's Word. So what do we see here? Satan had successfully built strongholds in the minds of the rebellious church members in Corinth by the false apostles' arguments and high-minded things that they raised up in opposition to the knowledge of God and the Word of God. As they presented these arguments, these thoughts that were untrue about God, God's word, them and others, these rebellious church members listened and believed. And the enemy was able to build strongholds in their minds that pulled them away from God, his word, and his people. And Satan tries to do the same thing with you and me every day, all day. Satan wants to build strongholds in our minds, which is why he relentlessly bombards our minds with his arguments and lies and every high-minded thing that is raised up in opposition to God and the knowledge of God. 
He wants to take us captive in those strongholds. And so he is constantly coming against us. Why? The battlefield's fought in the mind. And he's constantly coming against us. His lies, accusations, temptations, his doubts, his arguments, every high-minded thing. Because he's hopeful that we will be led astray by him into strongholds in our minds. Satan will tell us nothing will ever change. You can't do this. You can't do that. You're not good enough. You don't know enough. You'll never have enough. Your marriage, your family, your job will never get better. No one understands you. No one likes you. No one even wants to listen to you to try to understand you. God's not with you. God doesn't care about you. God will never use you again for sure. You know your significance is in what you have. You know your significance is in the way you look. You know your significance is in what others think about you. You do know your significance is in what others say about you. And by all those measures, you fail. You don't measure up, so you might as well just give up. When we believe the lies and messages of Satan that are raised up against God, we are taken away and held captive in strongholds in our minds. These strongholds in our minds separate us. They isolate us from God, his word, and his people. These strongholds in our minds keep us from living the abundant life that is ours in Christ Jesus. These strongholds in our minds keep us from walking in the freedom and victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. And see, here's the problem that many of us battle with and we continue to get frustrated and frustrated and frustrated and discouraged and discouraged and discouraged and defeated and defeated and defeated. Our fleshly weapons don't free us from these strongholds. That's what Paul's saying. We can't think our way according to our wisdom, out of our strongholds. We can't reason our way out of our strongholds. We're not strong enough to break out of our strongholds. We don't have enough ability to break out of our stronghold. And when we continually try to use our abilities and strength and wisdom and words to break out of these strongholds spiritually that our enemy has got us captive in our minds and separated from him and his word and his people, we get frustrated and we get discouraged and we get defeated. And we ultimately give up and throw in the towel. And what we need to understand is what Paul's telling us is, hey, listen. Your spiritual weapons from God are powerful through God to demolish and tear down the strongholds in your minds. That's why you use your weapons. Which leads us to the second question, how? How do we use our weapons? If these weapons will demolish the strongholds in our minds, and I desperately want these strongholds demolished, then how? How, Pastor, how do we do this? And we understand and realize that we demolish these strongholds. We use our spiritual weapons as we 
prioritize our thought life, as we take care of our thought life. We do it as we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. He answered the question for us right there in verse 5. How do we use our spiritual weapons? We take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ Jesus. That's how we do it. We prioritize our thought life. We take care of our thought life. We work our thought life. Listen, taking every thought captive, the obedience of Christ in verse 5 is in the present tense, which means that must be our daily discipline. Here's what we understand. Our thoughts will take us prisoner in our spiritual battle or we will take our thoughts prisoner in our spiritual battle. One of two things is going to happen. Our thoughts will take us prisoner in our spiritual battle and lock us away in strongholds in our minds or we will take our thoughts prisoner in our spiritual battle. This is why Satan bombards our minds with every accusation, argument, lie, lust, temptation, and high-minded thing that he can that are all raised up against uh, the knowledge of God and the truth of God's word. They're all raised up in opposition to God and the truth of God's word. And here's what Paul is sharing with us and what the Word of God teaches us. We can't stop these thoughts from entering the battlefield of our minds. We can't stop these thoughts from entering the battlefield of our minds. We're not called to stop these thoughts from entering the battlefield of our mind. When these thoughts enter the battlefield of our mind, we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. We can dwell on them. And if we make that choice, we will be led away from God into the strongholds of our minds of sin, discouragement, and defeat, which is where we'll be kept captive day after day after week after week after month after month. Or we can take them captive to the obedience of Christ and walk in the freedom and victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. Our choice is clear, but it's not easy. Our choice is not easy because Satan is very good at disguising his lies and arguments and high-minded things that he brings to our minds. Our choice is not easy because our sinful fallen flesh is given to moving toward the things that Satan offers us. But we know even with those realities, our choice is clear. We take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ as we rely on the Lord and his vast strength, as we pray every day, all through the day, as we fill our minds with the truth of God's word. You see, as we fill our minds with the truth of God's word, we believe and obey God's truth. As we fill our minds with the truth of God's word, we recognize and resist Satan's lies and arguments and high-minded things raised up against the knowledge of God and the word of God. As we fill our minds with God's truth, we demolish the strongholds that have held us captive for days, weeks, months, or years through our untrue, unbiblical thoughts about God, God's word, us, or others. You see, what happens when we fill our minds with God's word is when complaining calls, we answer by saying, for it is God who is at work in me to will and to act according to his good purpose. Therefore, I'm to do everything without complaining and arguing. When fear calls, we respond 
with David the psalmist by saying, at what time I'm afraid, I will trust in you, God. When hopelessness calls, we will respond by saying, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is who we are. The reason the world does not know us is because it does not know him. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. When loneliness calls, we're able to respond with Jesus Christ himself, who told us, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. We're able to respond with the truth of God's word, which reminds us that God will never leave us. He'll never fail us. He'll never forsake us. When the mistakes and sins of our past calls, we're able to respond with the psalmist who said, as far as the east is from the west, so far as the Father removed our sins and transgressions from us. We're able to respond as Paul did as he said, it's one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind. Straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. When selfishness rises up in us and calls us, we're able to respond with Paul who said, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. We're reminded that our Savior said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve, to give my life as a ransom for many. And we're reminded that Paul shared with us that our attitude is to be the same as that of Christ Jesus. When sin calls, we respond as John encouraged us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful. He is just. He is righteous. He will forgive us our sins and he will cleanse us and purify us from all unrighteousness. When unforgiveness calls, we will respond and answer, as Paul said, to forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. We're reminded of what Jesus said. If you don't forgive others when they sin against you or offend you, then my Father will not forgive you of the daily sins that you need to be forgiven. When worry calls, we're able to respond with Paul who said, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When others ignore us, oppose us, ridicule us, when others say or do things to hurt us, when others are mean and rude to us, we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ Jesus. How we recognize the tug of war in our minds in regards to our thoughts at that very moment. We take our thoughts and we compare them to the truth of God's word. 
And then we make the decision to walk in the word. We make the decision to live what we're learning from God's word. We make the decision to do what God says. We make the decision to walk in obedience to God. And as we do, the strongholds are demolished. As we do, we are free to walk in the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. As we do, we are then empowered to use our spiritual weapons and respond to those who are coming against us just as Paul did with encouragement and forgiveness and grace and humility and kindness and love and mercy and patience and peace and in prayer. And as we do, those who God's placed around us are able to see Jesus at work in us and through us. And God uses us at that moment in his work in drawing others closer and closer to him. Pastor Tony Evans, a prominent pastor and author, he said this, Christians have been equipped by God, with all the necessary equipment of spiritual warfare to disengage our spiritual enemy, Satan, and to render him and his cohorts ineffective in their attempts to bring us to spiritual defeat. Hey, listen, the word says, we are forgiven by faith in Jesus. We are free by faith in Jesus. We walk in victory by faith in Jesus. So let's use our spiritual weapons today and this week in our spiritual battle. Let's rely on the Lord and his vast strength. Let's pray today and every day and all through the day, acknowledging our dependence upon Lord. Let's take every thought captive, the obedience of Christ, by filling our minds with the truth of God's word. And as we do, we will see time and time again, step by step, day by day, moment by moment, that we win in Jesus. Say that with me. We win in Jesus. So let's walk in our freedom and victory in Jesus today. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. So worship team comes to lead us in our response.